0: Welcome to the Brownstein-Hyatt-Farber-Schreck podcast series. The past year brought privacy and data security issues into sharper focus for many companies. Shareholders Alyssa Garden Schwartz and David Hale discuss the privacy and cybersecurity landscape and what's on the horizon for companies in 2021. They cover how companies should approach privacy compliance in the wake of developments around GDPR and the California Consumer Privacy Act. New state and federal privacy laws that might be coming this year, what privacy enforcement may look like at the FTC, as well as the most important thing companies should be doing right now related to cybersecurity.
1: Hello, and welcome to the latest installment of the Brownstein podcast series. My name is Alyssa Garden Schwartz. I'm a shareholder in the firm's litigation department in the Denver office. And I specialize in government investigations and litigation as it relates to consumer protection issues, which increasingly um, is including issues around data privacy and cybersecurity. And today we're going to dig a little deeper into those issues and talk about what companies should be thinking about around privacy and cybersecurity as we head into 2021 uh, with me today to talk about this topic is our shareholder, David Hale. He uh, is in our DC office in our intellectual property department and recently joined us from TD Ameritrade, where he was deputy general counsel and chief privacy officer. David has been dealing with privacy and data security compliance issues for about 20 years. And I'm thrilled to have him here to uh, talk to us about privacy. And David, I would love it if you would just start out by telling us a little bit about how you got started in the area of privacy and data security.
2: Thank you, Alyssa. I really appreciate the welcome. And uh, as you mentioned, I just started with Brownstein uh, Hyatt in in November. And I'm very excited to, uh, to join the team to work with some great colleagues and great clients on interesting things. How I got started in privacy that, you know, I started in the same way that many people who are um, kind of mid to senior privacy people, which is I didn't start in privacy. I I was actually started as a a trademark and copyright patent attorney and uh, went in house and uh, was there for, you know, a few weeks. And the first privacy question came in when the GC just kind of pointed to me and said, you're sort of close enough. Um, you know, IP law and privacy seem sort of related. So can you figure this out? You know, went looking for outside counsel to help. And, you know, back in the, in the battle days, there just, there weren't very many people around doing this. And so, you know, figured out the answer myself and, you know, the next question came in shortly thereafter. And then one thing led to another and suddenly, um, I was the privacy person and, uh, uh, somewhat less the IP person, <laughs> and have been just sort of figuring it out ever since. I, I think in the early days, uh, it was very much a, a question of everybody was trying to figure it out. And uh, I think there's a little bit more uh, ability to to get guidance from people who've been thinking about this for a while. But in on balance, we're still in early days. At uh, TD Ameritrade, as you said, I was there for um, almost 20 years. And uh, Built initially their the the privacy compliance program, and then their their data breach incident response program as that became you know a more significant issue. And then as as time went by, it became very clear that that it, it was not just sufficient to have a privacy compliance program, but we built out a privacy culture, including a data ethics program, for example, to to really get people to think about um, about privacy not just from a Compliance perspective, but from a deeper perspective, that it's it's really about your brand. Uh, it's really about how the company interacts with with um, all of its customers uh, every day.
1: Great. So um, let's let's take that spectacular background and talk about the privacy cybersecurity landscape uh, that's on the the horizon for companies. So, in many ways, this past year has brought privacy and data security issues into even sharper focus than before um with you know lots of folks working at at home working remotely and consequently having companies focused more on their data security practices uh, you know privacy concerns have come up vis-a-vis discussions around contact tracing and collection of consumers' health data, as well as potentially their location data. And of course, there were some significant developments in the privacy area this past year um, with uh, regard to the Schrems 2 decision, um, which impacts uh, GDPR compliance, as well as the fact that um, California voters passed the California Consumer Privacy Rights Act um, which is essentially the uh, CCPA 2.0, right? California passed a very sweeping data privacy law a few years ago, and now with the CPRA, it has been amended to include even more protections for consumers. Um, and then finally, of course, we have a change of administration in D.C. And so with all of this having occurred, what would you tell companies about where to focus their privacy compliance efforts uh, right now?
2: Wow, so it's it's a lot, right? Especially as you list them all, right? It's uh, there are a lot of things there that that have happened, and and it's uh, in the privacy world there are a lot of things going in in different directions and uh, different things crying out for for prioritization. But I, I think that. Uh, there's a lot of commonality between these laws, and we have to, to sort of look at those things and, and think about what do we prioritize in terms of uh, what's most important. I think when we look at, at say, the GDPR uh, generally and, and the CPRA or the CCPA 2.0, as you noted, uh, in California, compliance with those laws is switching gears. Right, The initial enforcement in GDPR was was fairly gentle. Um, You know, there were fines, but they weren't huge fines. There was a lot of guidance. Um, There was a lot of guidance coming out of data protection authorities without fines or with, you know, really, truly slap on the wrist fines. Um, But it's clear that now that two years have gone by since it went into effect, um, almost three years the, uh, the the data protection authorities are getting more serious about you know now you should know what to, to be doing and you've had four years to uh, to prepare for this so they're becoming a little bit more serious about enforcement and CCpa is somewhat similar the law there changed several times there were several amendments most recently in November with the the Cpra and and that's just made it very difficult for the people who enforce the law to really have good footing to do so, right? It takes a little bit of time to have companies come into compliance with the new law. And if you keep changing the law, that compliance date keeps getting pushed back a little bit. But we're at a point now where with the CPRA, I would anticipate that that kind of freezes the law in California. There's still some regulations that need to come out because of that. And uh, and CPRA hasn't come into effect. It won't until uh, the beginning of next year. But we're sort of in a pause period there to to catch our breath. But I think that that's right before enforcement actions start to happen. And so I think it becomes critically important for companies to really start paying attention to this where maybe um, they were less concerned about it. In the past, and uh, I think if I were going to start somewhere in terms of you know where do I wrap my arms around these complex pieces of litigation and all the things that are required to to come into compliance, it really comes down to data and understanding what data you have about individuals. And a lot of the data that the companies have, they don't even realize they have it. They're collecting it through cookies. Um, it may be it came in through a merger, it's in some database that is uh, you know, a legacy database that they didn't even realize that they had, or it's in some format that's, that's currently inconvenient for them to use, and really understanding what those data are and how they move, where it came from, where it's going is key to a lot of the functions in these laws in terms of you know what you have to be able to do. Things like you need to be able to tell people what information you have about them when they request it. You need to be able to tell them what you're doing with that information, at least at a high level. And you need to be able, in, off, in some cases, to, uh, to give them the option to delete that information. Uh, and so you need to understand, well, why am I keeping this information? You know, it, in some cases, you need to keep it. You can't just delete it, uh, and so that's a that's an exercise as part of that as well. Understanding not just that you have it, but but why you have it, so you can, so people can uh, control their their information appropriately. There's an upside to this though as well, right? Is that once you've got this understanding of this information, it's much easier for you to use it. That the law sort of contemplates. Uh, GDPR and CCPA were both written by people who were thinking about big tech companies that process lots and lots of data. Um, And those companies use those, all of the data that they have to, um, in very interesting ways that a lot of companies just haven't had the ability to access, right? Because they don't have the same kind of understanding of their data. And, And I think that this law pushes companies to understand better. Understand what their data is better, and there is a there is a business plus to that, right? And once you understand your the data about your customers better, the data about your prospects better, you can do uh, really interesting things in terms of of uh, working with your customers to make your product better, um, you know, better sales techniques, better marketing techniques, um, and it's, a, it's a, it can be a very net positive to your your company's um, prospects in the future.
1: That's a great point. That way companies, you know, can understand that the, this isn't necessarily just a a compliance burden. This is really helping companies to better understand what they have at their uh, the data that they they're collecting and think about other ways that they could potentially be using that that data and, and also sort of weave that into, you know, their um, their brand. Right. And and their um, and what they offer to consumers. So. What I mean so you know we talked about what companies are looking at in terms of um, existing uh, privacy law to deal with now. what do you think is is coming in terms of legislative developments in twenty twenty one both at the at the state level and potentially also at the federal level
2: so at the state level. I think California, as I mentioned, may be sort of pausing for a little while with new legislation. But there's still this upcoming set of regulations that need to implement CPRA that will come out in 2021. And then, of course, the the CPRA itself comes into effect in January of 2022. And there's one of the things that the CPRA does is it creates a new regulatory body um, a new regulator in california the, the originally ccpa the, the original law put enforcement under the attorney general the the new law the new the, the new modification that came in in november creates a new privacy agency that agency doesn't exist we don't yet know who it's going to be who's going to be running it um, we should know that pretty soon but that'll have a pretty big impact on how this works uh, from a california perspective and I think related to that, the you know the two big biggest privacy proponents in the government in in California, uh, Attorney General Becerra and his predecessor Attorney General uh, Kamala Harris, uh, are now in, in DC, and so that leads to an important question of you know who's going to be leading that that charge for California, but also interesting in in, in the question of how does that translate in terms of. Uh, at a federal level, how much interest there is, is is in privacy. In in turning back to other states, uh, there's a whole host, about a dozen states, that have been trying since California came out with the CCPA two years ago, have been trying to come out with CCPA-like laws. Um, Those have generally stalled in the legislatures. Uh, Washington has been the, has come the closest, if you will and is, has, has reintroduced it. They've, they've looked at this bill twice. Um, it's failed twice, just barely. Um, they're going to go after it again this year, and it very well may pass. The, the, there's a couple of big issues in those laws. One uh, very contentious one with, within uh, Washington is who gets to enforce the law? Is it, is it something that will be enforced by a regulator, or will there be a private right of action so it'll be enforced by, you know, by plaintiffs? That seems to be one of the issues that that is the sticking point for a lot of these laws in a lot of states. And uh, we're we're watching that carefully to see where that that comes out. I think on the federal side, a, a comprehensive privacy bill has been sort of in the air, if you will, on the federal side for 10 plus years. Um, and it's uh, I, I sometimes feel like um, the Boy Who Cried Wolf or uh, Chicken Little um, in the sense of saying, oh, you know, there's this potential privacy legislation. We need to watch out for it. And it just doesn't come. Uh, but I was saying that for um, a lot of years in in Europe, as w- about Europe as well. And then suddenly we had GDPR. And I think at some point that 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 does happen. Is that going to be this year? It's hard to know. I think that there are uh, there are privacy um, uh, bills that were very similar to each other, that were proposed in the last session by um, both Republicans and, and Democrats. So there's a lot of commonality. There are a few points that are big issues um, that I think are going to be uh, big sticking points and and have have always been big sticking points. The two most prominent of those being preemption of state laws like the California law, and who gets to enforce again? You know, is it is it something that's limited to? Uh, to to uh, a federal regulator or maybe even state AGs um, versus private plaintiffs, that that's a huge, huge sticking point within these laws. But there's a lot of commonality. And I think that that it, it's useful to look at those bills you know in common and see, OK, whatever whatever happens. You know, it, it, there might be private right of action, there might not, but there's definitely going to be, say, a right to delete and there's definitely going to be an obligation to account to people what information they have, whether that's past this year or or next year or four years from now. But it's it's a little difficult to say when exactly that happens. There's a lot of things that are on the plate of uh, the current or the incoming administration. There's a lot of uh, chaos that's and, and controversy that's coming from the the, the, the the handover, and so those things are kind of mitigate against it being a, a, an issue. On the other hand, there have been a lot of issues um, in the news lately in the, in in January that are uh, privacy adjacent and make this kind of uh, a, a live issue. And any time that happens, um, this th- these questions tend to come up in in Congress. So we have a a lot of instances in the last week or so where people's personal information is being used, um, is being captured and then used in ways that those people didn't, didn't anticipate with regard to the, you know, to the protests or, or uh, the, the so-called insurrection in, in uh, January 6th, where people are uploading you know, photos to various social media sites and then those photos and videos are being used by law enforcement to identify people who took part in these, these events and um, conducted uh, you know, criminal acts. And so the, the law enforcement is, is using that as evidence against them. I, I could see that, that leading to a debate about, well, is there some responsibility by the, by the companies uh, or by the government to, um, you know, to, to essentially protect people from themselves in that context, right? That, that should that information have been um, available that they're using to to identify the people, and um, I think that has potential implications to you know uh, biometric issues as well as uh, uploads from phones of so videos, et cetera, uh, geolocation data. All of these things are going to be hot issues if that becomes a, uh, a you know a politically hot issue.
1: Absolutely, and and I think too. I mean, I think it who's it, um, it us to to remind our listeners that even if. These events and other events, you know, the past year or so don't necessarily push uh, the federal government as well as states to enact privacy specific legislation. There are still tools at um, uh, the state and federal level for government regulators to go after companies for privacy and data security practices that they uh, deem to be problematic, and that is um, unfair and deceptive acts and practices laws. So the FTC has the FTC Act, Section 5, which they have been using already to address um, data breaches as well as other problematic data security and privacy practices, and states, too, um, you know, obviously, And the majority of states now do not have a privacy-specific law, but that has not stopped them uh, necessarily from wading into the privacy enforcement arena with their unfair and deceptive acts and practices laws. So I just want to remind folks that it's not as though the states and the FTC won't be active on um, enforcement related to privacy and cybersecurity if, if these laws don't get enacted.
2: Right. Just this week, you know, the FTC came out with uh, a, an action against uh, a, an app for their allegedly deceptive practices with regard to data that they collect. Uh, it was an app um, that did uh, period tracking for, uh, for fertility uh, purposes And, um, you know, they were tracking data that uh, in ways that weren't really uh, they weren't disclosing properly. And you know, the FTC, you know, again, just this week came out with that uh, that action against them. Right. One of the other things I think is emerging as something that's kind of interesting here and maybe will be a subject of a of a subsequent podcast because it, it really, you know, it's it's sort of too big to talk about here is. Is the intersection of privacy uh, issues and, and antitrust issues, both in Europe and in the U.S. There have been uh, a, a handful of cases going directly after companies that, that have been brought recently, um, you know, alleging uh, antitrust violations for for use of, of data, and then even passively, uh, for example, this week, Visa just announced that it was uh, abandoning its um, its attempt to take over a company called Plaid based essentially on objections that the Justice Department brought to what that would mean from, from Visa's access to Plaid's data, and that it would be uh, anti-competitive for them to, to have access to all of this personal data. So there's an interesting and emerging area there of, of enforcement of, of privacy or quasi-privacy issues through this, what seems at, at first glance to be a completely unrelated area of law.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And there are still some folks that, um, that maintain that, that antitrust and, and privacy don't really intersect. But I think that viewpoint is, is steadily being uh, chipped away at, right? Um, even the, the cases that were brought the end of last year, um, against Facebook and Google, uh, again, antitrust cases, um, were very clear that, In talking about the detrimental effects to consumers as a result of anti-competitive behavior by those platforms, enforcers were talking about consumers not receiving uh, privacy protections uh, that could have been a lot better because the idea being that if there was more competition um, in these areas that companies would compete um, you know, they're not necessarily competing on price, right? But they are competing potentially on privacy protections, particularly with respect to, you know, search um, or with respect to access to a platform like Facebook, right? And I think that's a very big deal for folks to be talking about um, lack of of uh, innovation in privacy specifically as an anti-competitive effect, so I agree. Um, we we probably need to table that for <laughs> the next podcast. And we definitely envision having uh, a monthly podcast on privacy issues because, you know, this area is constantly evolving and changing and we want to keep um, folks up to date. The last thing I wanted to just quickly uh, ask you is... Before we go, what what is one thing you think companies overlook most frequently when it comes to privacy and uh, cybersecurity compliance?
2: Well, I, I already mentioned earlier the data issue, right? That that un- really understanding where what data you're collecting is 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 very very important, and I think. Um, easily overlooked um or easily misunderstood. You know, that that people don't really get that they're collecting data through, you know, some cookie or tag on their website that their marketing um or agency or advertising agency, you know, put on there and, and they have no no idea right what, what information is being collected, et cetera. And, and and it's really hard to know and it's really hard to figure out. That said, I think one that I haven't mentioned so far is is innocent response, right? That, that being prepared for what's essentially almost an inevitable happening of, of, of having a breach, the time to figure out what you're going to do in the event of a, of a data breach is not in the middle of it. Timelines are accelerating both from a, a regulatory perspective. It, you know, GDPR expects um, at least some forms of notice to go out within 72 hours. That's 48 hours in the case of some banks in the U.S., Singapore has a 72 hour rule as well. I think that that's only going to accelerate and then it, there's a social expectation that goes even beyond that, right? That we, when we see big breaches um there one of the constant drum beats that that uh, people have is I, I can't believe it took them, you know, 3 days to give notice. If you're not prepared, there's never mind 3 days, it's going to take you 3 months to to um, respond to an incident and 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 get out notice. And that's just not really acceptable anymore, and if you don't have a plan you're much more likely to make mistakes, and those mistakes can be um, extremely costly and uh you know when you're responding to one of these um, one of these data breaches and can make something that's a problem turn into a crisis and so uh, that's one area where I think you know, people are just often overlook it maybe they they don't want to um to they don't want to think about it it's uh, but it's it's something that it, for relatively low cost can have a huge payoff uh, down the road in terms of managing your risk.
1: Excellent advice. Um, really good point. And, uh, you know, going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier with um, developments that have occurred over the last year, you know, I think I read something that data breaches, you know, as a result of the increase in remote working, I think went up by some like 217%. Um, And they have been, data breach incidents have been steadily increasing year over year, but that's a huge jump. And I think that underscores exactly what you just talked about. Folks really need to have an incident response plan in place because data breach laws have tight turnarounds on notice and you need to have your, your plan in place before these Breaches occur because, you know, sadly, it's not a question of if; it's more a question of of when. At this point, absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been a great discussion, and as you noted, there's so much uh, in privacy to talk about, um, especially as things continue to develop in this area. And um, we're hoping to do this podcast monthly, so again, we can keep folks up to date on what's going on in privacy and cybersecurity. Thanks so much for listening. And we will uh, talk to you all again very soon.
0: Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.